Hello, and welcome to the November 2015 Respiratory Care Podcast. This is Dean Hess, editor of the journal. In our editor's choice paper, Teixeira et al. assessed the use of proportional assist ventilation as a spontaneous breathing trial, comparing it with T-tube and with pressure support ventilation. They found no significant differences in the rate of extubation failure, duration of mechanical ventilation, and length of ICU and hospital stay. Kasmeric and colleagues suggest that, although the approach to an SBT may not have an impact on time to extubation, the mode selected once the patient begins to trigger the ventilator may have an effect on time to extubation. Fisher and colleagues investigated factors contributing to pressure ulcer development in subjects using non-invasive ventilation. Color imaging, three-dimensional surface imaging, and skin hydration measurements were used to identify early skin compromise and evaluate three interventions to reduce trauma, a silicone foam dressing, a water polyethylene oxide hydrogel dressing, and a flexible cloth mask. Improvement of mask fit was an important priority for improving respiratory outcomes, and strategies to maintain normal skin hydration are also important for tissue integrity. Argent reminds us that the challenge is to provide a mass-produced, commercially available interface that is comfortable, adaptable to a wide range of facial shapes, lined with material that prevents overhydration of the skin, and can be fitted in such a way that it does not leak, increase dead space, or compromise patient ventilator synchrony. Bella et al. investigated the correlation between volumetric capnography and time-based capnography dead space measurements in mechanically ventilated children without significant hypoxemia or cardiac output-related dead space changes, VDVT, was highly correlated with end-tidal alveolar dead space fraction. In children with significant hypoxemia, VDVT was poorly correlated with end-tidal alveolar dead space fraction. As Oliveri points out, time-based capnography may be a feasible and less expensive option to assess alveolar dead space during mechanical ventilation. The study by Medcalf and colleagues examined the use of respiratory care protocols and associated levels of respiratory therapist job satisfaction, turnover intentions, and job stress. Higher levels of protocol use were associated with higher levels of RT job satisfaction, lower levels of turnover intentions, and lower levels of job stress. RTs with greater experience had higher levels of job satisfaction, and RTs working at teaching hospitals had lower levels of turnover intentions. Kuo et al. designed an artificial neural network for predicting successful extubation of mechanically ventilated subjects. The neural network improved the accuracy of predicting successful extubation. Clinical application might help clinicians select the earliest appropriate weaning time. The purpose of the study by Ari and colleagues was to quantify and compare the efficiency of aerosol devices in a lung model of an intubated and mechanically ventilated adult with a tracheostomy tube. Aerosol drug delivery via tracheostomy tube was greater than endotracheal tube, while the delivery efficiency of the pressurized meter dose inhaler via either airway was greater than that of a jet nebulizer. 
Ramos et al. evaluated the acute response of mucociliary clearance to aerobic exercise in smokers and non-smokers and compared that found after acute smoking and smoking combined with exercise. They also investigated whether there is a correlation between mucociliary clearance and the autonomic nervous system. Although impaired in smokers, mucociliary clearance responded to the stimulus of exercise as demonstrated by similar saccharine transit time in comparison to non-smokers. This response was correlated with the autonomic nervous system in both groups. In smokers, mucociliary clearance also responded to the stimuli of smoking and exercise, followed by smoking. The purpose of the study by Akisi et al. was to assess the impact of bronchiectasis, anxiety, depression, and parameters of severity of disease on health-related quality of life in subjects with COPD. They found that presence of bronchiectasis in COPD does not impact health-related quality of life and psychological disorders. However, disease severity, dyspnea levels, and anxiety score predicted poor health-related quality of life. Ajmira and colleagues examined the association between multimorbidity and COPD medication receipt among Medicare beneficiaries and newly diagnosed COPD. Prevalence of multimorbidity was very high among Medicare beneficiaries with newly diagnosed COPD, which suggests poor COPD medication management among those with multimorbidity. Katerina et al. compared the effects of two aerobic training intensities in health-related quality of life, symptoms control, and exercise tolerance in subjects with COPD. Aerobic training intensity of at least 60% of maximal exercise capacity had a positive impact in COPD-centered outcomes, with no additional benefit of increasing intensity to 80% maximal exercise capacity in health-related quality of life, symptoms control, and exercise tolerance challenging the present clinical attitude of rehabilitation professionals. The goal of the study by Gulhan et al. was to determine the frequency and determinants of low cognitive ability in subjects with stable bronchiectasis. They found that low cognitive ability in subjects with bronchiectasis might be associated with reduced lung function, more serious hypoxemia, and greater depressive symptoms. Bronchiectasis in subjects with low cognitive ability felt more intense dyspnea than ones with high cognitive ability. Bulkan and colleagues examined the validity of a measure designed for COPD, the Seattle Obstructive Lung Disease Questionnaire, and bronchiectasis. They also compared the quality of life in subjects with bronchiectasis and bronchial hyperresponsiveness to those without in order to identify the effective factors on the quality of life. The Seattle Obstructive Lung Disease Questionnaire was a valid instrument for determining quality of life in subjects with bronchiectasis. The subjects with bronchial hyperresponsiveness had a poorer quality of life, lower baseline spirometric values, and more exacerbations. 
The purpose of the study by Witcher and colleagues was to obtain multiple perspectives on pulmonary rehabilitation to gain insight into factors that affect exercise participation among individuals diagnosed with COPD. In addition to enhancing task self-efficacy, their findings suggest exercise participation and adherence within the pulmonary rehabilitation environment may be improved by adopting a gender-tailored approach. Swang et al. studied the level of monocyte, human leukocyte, angiotensin DR, an immune function-related biomarker at 24 hours after admission to predict the outcomes of subjects with severe pneumonia. They found that monocyte, human leukocyte, antigen DR, might be a reliable biomarker that can predict the outcomes of subjects with severe community-acquired pneumonia with 27.2 as the cutoff value to predict outcome. Stefanina and colleagues evaluated the imbalances of the plasminogen activation system related to obstructive sleep apnea syndrome and assessed the effects of CPAP on the plasminogen activation system. Their results suggest an imbalance in fibrinolysis related to OSA and an improvement in the prothrombotic state after the CPAP treatment. This month, we publish an evidence-based review of inspiratory muscle training in individuals who have suffered a cerebrovascular accident. We also publish two papers from the 2014 New Horizons Symposium, one related to prone position and acute respiratory distress syndrome, and the other related to recruitment maneuvers and peep titration. To receive the contents of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www. .rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.